This is a pre-recorded version of the WTKA Roundtable <laughs> on WTKA, unsurprisingly, 9 o'clock Thursdays. It is recorded, however, so if you call in, no one will answer. back folks here on the michigan insider sports talk 1050 wtka online at wtk.com sam webb mr ira weintraub on the other side and you know what we do in the nine o'clock hour on thursdays we talk to our boys our brothers from the other mothers friends from the uh the Imgo blog Imgo blog roundtable joining us this morning like they do every single week our good friend Seth Fisher is back. Seth, how are you this morning? I'm good. My feature writers are too good because I normally can cut their articles down a little bit and then have enough room for a big, long roundtable at the end of the book. And the roundtable is like three pages right now because I can't cut any of it. You guys are too good. Darn you, Craig. Well, your article's awesome Well, now. no, your, 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 artic- your rewrite is really good, uh, Seth. But the uh, So we're not doing that this year? No roundtable? No, we're doing a roundtable, but it's like three pages. <laughs> it's going to be oh, like, okay. what's the prediction? Hey, we're all going to win. Go. <laughs> it's- yeah, okay. All right. <laughs> and then yeah. that other voice you hear, you know it very, very well, is one Mr. Craig Ross. So before we get into the topics yeah. Yeah. Uh, throughout the day or throughout the hour, want to give you the opportunity uh, to respond to uh, Mike Spath yesterday, who I, I posed the question to Mike about you. The premise was based on something that you said, yeah. uh, Craig, and that was, you know, talking about the, the movement, players jumping around and how it's affecting your, your fandom. Uh, and, I, and the question to Mike was, you know, what does he see as a, a remedy? Does he see any relief coming in, in terms of the portal? Or maybe when it comes to NIL and federal legislation, or did he see neither thing getting better and fans being affected by those things, uh, you know, keep going along the path they're going on along now. Mm-hmm. And that's when he said, hey, for people who feel like Craig, I, I think that they're full of it. I don't think they're going to feel like that as long as their teams uh, get out there and, and do well. So to that, you say what, Craig? Well, just that. Um, I have no problem with NIL as you know, if Mike Morris can do advertising for Mike Morris, the attorney, I love it. I mean, that's fine. That's should be within his rights to sell his name, image, and likeness and do work uh, along those lines and be compensated for it. I'm a, and drag Blake Corum and a couple other kids in with him to those ads. I'm all in. And, and it doesn't affect my fandom at all. Pay for play da- tends to dampen my enthusiasm a bit because it makes the game professional. And I, and as much as I've been, say, a Cleveland Guardians fan my whole life, and now that I'm a Detroit Lions fan, it doesn't mean I won't it's watch those games. The, Brown, the Guardians play baseball. 
I know, I know, but I'm not a Browns fan anymore. I can't, okay. I can't root for the Browns anymore. They've, they've been too douchey for too long for me to, to root for them. And so, and uh, I mean, when you, when you draft Johnny Manziel and bring in what? No, I can't, I can't handle. I just, it. I still can't get over the fact that you picked the Lions of all people. You're like, you know, because you have... I live here. Sam's a Lion fan. I love yeah. Sam. I'm, Sam's I'm a Lion enthusiast. Fan too. We're, we're... <laughs> okay, so. I told you, this is like having your choice of religions and picking Judaism. Like, there are other religions that you could choose that are easier than this. <laughs> yeah, I got you on point. But in any event, so, you know, and but I'll never have the enthusiasm for the Guardians or the Lions that I do for Michigan sports. And partly because it's professional and there's a certain mercenary element to professionalism that just makes it less interesting to me. And I'm not saying that should be the same for anyone else. I mean, here's a parable. Here's a story. And maybe I've told this one before, but it's one I've liked, I like, and it's portable. There's a guy. He's a, he's a great gourmet. He's had every food, you know, every dish that in the world, you know, except one. He's never had Tibetan peach pie. And the reason why he's never had Tibetan peach pie, because it's only sold in one place, a small restaurant on the side of a mountain in the Himalayas. And, you know, obviously very difficult and expensive to get there. So he saves up his money. He goes a long, long time saving and planning and getting in shape. So he, he you know, he finally does it. Trip takes the long flight to Tibet, uh, hires a Sherpa guide, goes up the mountain, finds the restaurant, and he sits down and he goes, this has been a long trip for me. There's just one thing I want. I want a slice of your Tibetan peach pie. And the waiter says, sorry, we're out. And so the guy says, okay, I'll take apple. And so that's, you know, that's sort of my vision uh, of, of NIL and, and pay for play. <laughs> you know, I'll take Apple. It isn't a world that I exactly want to be in, but it's one I can live in. And, 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 that's and basically of, you don't have any other option. Is that what you're saying? Uh, yeah, you know, I don't have a option. Pie, that's what you got to eat. Is right, that what the exactly. point of that story is? Because they used to tell that story at camp. <laughs> Yeah. They used to tell that story every year at camp, and then everyone oh, really? would just burst out laughing. And the joke was on the, the new people at camp who'd never heard the story before and would be like, so start laughing along, too, because everyone's laughing. And that was what the gag was. And the story was really long, too. Like, he had this whole, like, trip up the mountain and down yeah, the mountain. I, and like, you know, well, I could have stretched yeah. it out for an hour, but, you know. Yeah. And, then they, and then they come to the punchline, and, and then, like, will Peach Pie do? And everyone just loses it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway. I, that jumped out at me. I was trying to figure out where he's going, and then I've never heard the Himalayas called the Himalayas before. So that well, was, I don't know how do you pronounce it. <laughs> Brian pronounces everything wrong, so he probably knows how not to pronounce I, it. I pronounced that correctly. Okay, <laughs> I've read I've read a lot of Wikipedia articles about mountaineering disasters. So all right, all right. All right. So, and, uh, one last thing on this, and that, and I will admit that even though. Some days I'd like to live in a different world that nostalgia is treacherous. And as soon as you get too, too burned into nostalgia, uh, then you're going to realize you no longer own your future. Somebody else does. And I think that's something that you could see in the Weimar Republic or even today uh, that uh, you, ne you never want to get too much uh, 
too much of a lament for the past is is not a good thing. Anyway, I'm done. I'm I think, and I think that was the point of Mike's Mike's. Uh, he, I think he was sure. talking the past, right? But yeah, again, I want to give you the opportunity to yeah. respond, and yeah. we got Himalayas and uh, Tibetan pie. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> right. Let's go over. Welcome, Brian Cook. How you doing this morning, man? Good. I'm sorry about last week. I uh, turned off all my alarms because it was the summer, and I sh- should have turned all but one off. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it happens, man. Especially when you have kids, right? Yeah. All right. So listen, NBA draft tonight. Yeah. If I had told you guys during the season that the first player off the board from the Big Ten in the NBA draft would be Kobe Bufkin. Would you believe that to be the case? Because that's the projection right now that Kobe Bufkin will be the Big Ten's first player selected in tonight's draft. Well, yeah, he's pretty good at basketball. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he's six foot four. He's young. He's equivalent. He's a freshman, basically, by age. And for him to have that kind of season as an age equivalent freshman, you know, with the wingspan, the the height he brings. Yeah, I, I think that it's pretty obvious that uh he should be a lottery pick and it, it was like late in the season like i was like what this like this seems reversed like jet howard does not seem like a lottery pick he's got huge flaws in his game but he's a six foot eight shooter so i see he's a first rounder and yeah the way that it's kind of shaken out makes a lot of sense to me yeah Buffkin's yeah i mean six four by the way he's six four with like no shoes on like yeah. his feet on the floor and like it's still six four and change so like the we've been quoting him that forever, and we've been doing him a major disservice because most guys his height get called six six. That's what he is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Sam and I. I mean, you may recall on this show, Sam and I have talked Buffkin up from day one, and in his freshman year, we were you know both saying this guy is even when he wasn't playing, this guy's going to be good. This guy's going to be good. And then last year, even at the beginning of the season, we were even when he wasn't really peaking yet we kept saying this guy's going to be good and finally i think he got there and um so i'm not surprised at all the two things about kobe that i like one is he's really smart i've i mean i i don't know if you've talked to him sam but mm-hmm. i've talked to him a couple times he's a really smart kid he's self-aware uh and it, and when i talked to him last year about what he was going to do this year he said defense he goes, I got to improve my defense. I, I mean, if, I, if I'm going to stay on the court, I have to become a better player. So I'm, I'm just spending the whole, the whole summer, you know, working on my conditioning, working on my feet. And so this kid uh, has huge upside, huge ceiling as far as I'm concerned. And with the right team, I think he'll really work out. So, no, I'm not surprised at all. Jet has a lot more questions in my mind. Yeah, uh, man, it's it's interesting because hey, obviously Jet was getting a lottery mention during mm-hmm. the year. I remember talking to a coach, uh, and we were having this discussion. He was like, you know, Kobe going to the league. Yeah, boy, man, I just don't know if it'll if it'll be worth it because no one's talking about him in the in the lottery. Jet, I get. And I was like, well, I wouldn't be surprised if a team would take Kobe first because Kobe is more complete now. To I. Ira made the point based on his long relationship with the late, great John Thompson. And Ira, I'll let you tell this. What, what did John Thompson tell you about, you know, skill and, and taking a guy in the draft? He says you have to start with something that you do elite first. And then you can have one elite skill and then you can build around that. But if you do a whole bunch of things good and you don't have anything that's elite, 
you aren't going to build a great player out of that. That's essentially what he said. Right. So I, I think Jets' elite skill is he can shoot that rock. He can shoot that basketball. And that might entice some team enough that say, okay, I'm going to value his one elite skill over Kobe's. Uh, he's just all around a better player right now. He, he actually plays defense. He, he puts it on the deck better right now, right? He can obviously get to the rim and create for others. Some, we start to see that. So he does more in, in more categories, but he does not have that one skill that you look at and you say, man, if I, if I draft him, I know he's going to be able to do that right now. Jet has that, and I wonder if that'll elevate him in the eyes of some, some NBA teams. Yeah, I, people, yeah. That's, that's been a thing that people in all drafts and all sports have been saying forever, right? That like, okay, take the elite skill and then develop the rest, right? But go and look and see how well that works out. The reason why five stars are five stars and three stars are three stars, sometimes you get a three star who gets who develops, and you get that guy, and that turns into Chase Winovich, and that's an amazing player, right? But the reason Rashawn Gary is a five star to start with is he's already good at all those things. And sometimes good at everything is a very, very good thing because you're not going to have – every coach just believes they're the best and they can teach all the pieces that they're missing. And the fact of the matter is you can't. Sometimes the reason they don't play defense well is they don't play defense well. Sometimes the reason they don't shoot well is that they're not good shooters. And the idea that you can always fix these players is where a lot of bad draft picks happen, I think. Right. Yeah. Yeah, let me, just, uh, let me just quickly add, it's not that you fix that, is that if you only have that one elite skill and you don't add anything else, you at least have an elite skill. Mm. That's that's Big John's point. Yeah, I mean, so I was reading Sam Vecini's draft uh, preview for The Athletic, which is literally hundreds of pages. I just read the two <laughs> Michigan ones. <laughs> and one thing jumped out when he was talking about Jet Howard is he had a stat where Michigan was something like 7.4 points better um with jet off the floor so i mean that's something that that's a huge number that's like a austin davis versus john teske number um and all of that goes back to his defense which is not bad it is miserable so like there's he's got an elite skill and the kind of stuff that he does on defense is fixable but you got to question whether he's going to get there whether he's going to be able to Duncan Robinson up because Duncan Robinson is an, uh, you know, functional NBA defender, which I don't think any of us saw coming. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely something that's possible for him, but it's an open question. I mean, Duncan Robinson to go in the first round and like as an NBA comp, he's pretty close, right? Six foot eight shooter with defensive questions. So, you know, he just has, the athletic pedigree that Duncan Robinson never did. So you expect that he might get there, but I understand that there are questions. Yeah. I will say that, that jet did show he could pass the ball. He, you know, he, he, he does have some ability there. He isn't a hundred percent just a shooter because I think he can pass the ball, but no, his ball handling is not great. His defense is miserable as Brian points out. And so whether those things, you know, but maybe because of his shooting, you know, there is a high ceiling there and that someone will decide, yeah, we, we can teach this guy to play defense. And how about this to pay attention now and again, when he's on the court, because sometimes he just seemed to be not paying any attention. Yeah. And, I think I you mean, just nailed it. I think you just nailed it, Craig. I, I mean, everything with jet is about, um, where he, d- does he focus on those things? Will he, 
prioritize what does he prioritize? Yeah. I think Jet is better at putting the ball on the deck than he showed last year. Uh, we saw flashes of it. Like he had really worked on his ball handling to the point we saw in high school. Um, I was surprised by his ability to kind of run a team a little bit, even in AAU or or NBA camp settings. Like he was, he would initiate the offense. I was like, I was a little surprised by that. He was adept at getting to the rack to his right. I was a little surprised by that, but he could not go left. We started to see him do some things to his left last year. I'm like, okay, but it then it just went away. And his issue that I would see is, man, he would fall in love with that jumper sweet is butter, but you can't shoot it all the damn time. And that's that was his thing. And it wasn't one of those things where he was routinely creating for others either. And then when you don't play defense on top of it, you get the kind of stat that you're talking about. So if he gets with a team that really is like, look, if you're shooting all the time, we got a problem. You know, this is we got to we got to work on rounding your game and you, you won't be on the floor if you don't play defense, which is kind of a stretch maybe in the NBA. But if they can get him to focus on those things, I think Jet can be a star player. I think he'd be a star in the NBA, but it's going to take him being dedicated to improving those those skills. Otherwise, he'll, he'll just be a specialty guy, a shooter that hangs around the league for a long time. All about which team he lands with, in my opinion. Yeah, and I think the team that he wants to land with is is the Miami Heat. Oh, dude, Perfect. right? <laughs> like, they they already have the test case in Robinson. Yeah, you know he's gonna be a he's he's gonna be a, a couple year project before he's gonna be playing mm-hmm. many minutes for a good team, right? So like they have, and they're 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 long term term thinkers. So I think that that would that would be a good landing spot for him. And you know yeah. he's not redundant with Duncan Robinson because you. Everybody needs to shoot, and you need it, and everybody needs shooters. So, I don't, I don't really think that those guys overlap at all. So, I think, you know, I think he's got a shot. Um, but, you know, yeah. if you're asking me which guy I think is more likely to be an NBA All Star, I got Kobe Bufkin. Yeah, man. I, I, you know, I'll close with with this, and tell me if you guys agree with this. I think that Jets NBA path is more dependent on who he lands with than Kobe. Yeah. Like, Jet getting with the right team is everything. It's the difference between him being a guy in the NBA and being having, you know, a star like turn potentially in the NBA. Whereas Kobe, I think wherever he goes, I think we're going to see Kobe be a, a good NBA player. Uh, yeah, I really agree with that. And I 100% agree with what Brian just said. I mean, Miami is a good place for him, the right place for him. Uh, the, they have a good coaching staff, it's a stable coaching staff. Uh, Spolster ain't getting fired nope. and, and, uh, you know, and they will, you know, and you saw what they've done with Duncan Robinson, uh, defensively where he's at least plausible and Duncan's game has improved in the NBA. Uh, so yeah, uh, I, I couldn't agree more. So a couple of questions real quick about uh, obviously Michigan people are asking, you guys have any clue? I haven't ha- really had a chance to dig into this a lot. How did things turn around with Antonio Reeves in Kentucky like <laughs> that? I, I mean, it from on one end of the spectrum, you have this contentious. They won't. They're, they're standing in the way of him transferring. Uh, they're be, you know they're being very very difficult. To now he's moving back in and going back to Kentucky. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what's going on there at all. I mean, uh, f- for our listeners, I mean the kid. Uh, wanted to transfer, but was going to have to sit out a year, right? Uh, regardless of where he chose, because... Unless he graduated. 
unless he graduated. So he went back to his original school, I think where he went for three years, Illinois State, to try and get his degree at Illinois State. Uh, something went south there. I don't know what it was, but it sounds to me like A, he couldn't get his degree from Illinois State or something. And so he was going back to Kentucky and Kentucky certainly wants him. Um, but there was been rumors that, that Kentucky was making it difficult for him and why you would go back to a place that's making it difficult for you. I don't, you know, I don't really know, but it's it's mysterious and and the reporting on it hasn't been pristine to say the least i mean you would know more about this sam than anyone i think yeah I man I, I look i was told very very plainly that for this to even be a consideration for michigan he was going to have to be a grad transfer and absent that it's not even worth discussing well that's the and same so not just for michigan for everyone well, because well, this is going to be his second transfer yeah let's be his second transfer so that could be an issue yeah. but you can you can yeah. get you can get around that sometimes. Michigan was not going to be able to get him into school unless he was a grad transfer. Right. right. Yeah, so so. Uh, anyway, who knows? I mean, and it leaves Michigan in again the awkward spot where Michigan's sitting with eleven scholarship players by my count right now. I don't hear of anything obvious on the you know it's what is it? It's late June. We're going into July, and they're in their short short two two scholarship guys which is something i don't ever recall happening yeah and then uh, Mul Mul the mulcahy talk um uh, uh, suddenly uh, kentucky is a factor for for mulcahy there's some um, uh notre dame buzz here of notre late dame, yeah. washington gonzaga i uh, just haven't heard a lot of michigan with with paul mulcahy well, the problem with mulcahy is that michigan's built a really defensive team and they need some scoring and what's okay? What's okay? He leaving is a super defensive team that was just like he because that's what he does. He passes and he plays defense, but someone else has got to score. So I don't know if it's the best fit. Even though we need a wing, unless Michigan wants to be the team that wins every single game, forty-five forty. Well, they you know they want to be Rutgers West then, and that's okay. And and uh, you know Mulcahy, I think can score. I I just think he's. I mean, his role there has not been been that so much. I mean, I, we've seen him play. I've seen him play a lot. I, I don't think he's a terrible shooter or, or a terrible scorer. Uh, he just doesn't choose to shoot a lot and and because he's a pass-first guy. And I would love Mulcahy at Michigan. I, I, I think he's a good basketball player, and I don't think he's a terrible fit for Michigan, but doesn't sound like he's coming here for whatever I, I reason. I meant why would he want to do it, you know? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, why, if, if yeah. what you're looking for is a team that can score because you're sick of being on Rutgers. Yeah, yeah. I got to dig into another question. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm throwing questions at you that I haven't even thrown yeah. at sources yet. But, you know, with the developments at West Virginia, you got a lot of vultures kind of circling the, the carcass a little bit, seeing if they <laughs> could <can, laughs> maybe pull. Because, look, that, that's what they were doing. They were pulling in, hauling in a pretty good, transfer class reportedly they're they're in the mulcahy sweepstakes or at least at least trying to be some of the remaining assistants mm -hmm. anything enticing about what west virginia has in you guys' eyes again and to throw it out i'm just throwing it out there because i haven't even checked on it yet to see if it's something that michigan is pursuing but just right. a cursory glance at it, what do you guys think of that because a lot of schools are looking at west virginia and saying hey, okay let's let's see who we can grab 
when you were saying vultures circling the carcass, I was I was thinking you were talking about John Beeline, and then I thought, wait a minute, Beeline's a lot younger than I am. <laughs> what are the what are the vultures doing to me? And uh, so, uh, no, I don't know. Do you guys know about West Virginia? Or Craig Rodgers, he remembers the bubonic plague. <laughs> I know that yeah. West Virginia fans are delusional if they think they have a shot in hell at John Beeline. Well, I think that's true, too. I can't imagine Beeline going back to West Virginia. One, they treated him very poorly when he left West Virginia. Yeah, they sued him. They mm -hmm. sued him, right, and made him pay back like half a million dollars, which was nonsense. And so I can't imagine that he's feeling too warm and fuzzy about West Virginia at this point. And two, West no. I mean, if he wants to go back to coaching, I think he can get a better job. In fact, I think he can get almost any job that that he might that he might want. So he ain't taking West Imagine Virginia. having a lake house. Imagine having a lake house in at Walloon Lake and then going back to live in West Virginia. I mean, I'm just I this seems like never in a million years would I choose to do that. If I, I, have I think a Beeline is done, man. I think I think Beeline <laughs> falls in this category of coach who retires because he's done, but he still has his hair, so everyone thinks he can coach still. <laughs> Remember, like this happened with Chuck Daly for years and years. They're like, oh, that guy can still Daddy coach. Rich. <laughs> Daddy Rich. All right, all right. So we'll say I will check on that because I got you know I've, I've been getting questions. Hey, what are they going to look at in West Virginia, guys? I will check on that too. We answered your questions about Mulcahy. That's coming in the chat. People want to know about Reeves. That was coming in the chat. There you go. Uh, so the the short answer to your question about is Michigan done in the portal? I don't know. Uh, Pickens are looking really slim, though. We can certainly say that. We got to get to a break. As we do, I want to leave you guys to chew on this for a second. I'm obviously spending a lot of time on Ohio State. They're showing up in in all of my uh, podcasts these days. Crazy to me. Uh, they want to come and hear me talk about the Buckeyes. But uh, there was a story on ESPN recently where Heather, Heather Denich made her way down to Columbus, spent some time with the, with the staff down there and very clearly profiling the pressure that they're under to turn things around as it relates to Michigan. And she sat down with uh, Jim Knowles and it's just, it, it strikes me and listening to him. I wonder if you guys are, are really feeling this, a guy that, does not have the answers. A guy that is a little bit shook by what happened. Like, I don't know if he's more shook by the pressure uh, that Michigan put him under in the game or more shook by the, the calls from the fans that are coming for him in the aftermath of it. But I'm going to read you some of it coming back. and want to get want to get your opinion on what the future holds for Jim Knowles. I'm not on board with thinking that this is the end of it for Ryan Day if this year doesn't go right, but I am fully on board. But this being absolutely it for Jim Knowles if they can't turn it around this year. We'll dig into that on the other side here. MGO Blog Roundtable, Sports Talk 1050, WTKA, the ticket. Did you guys see the piece, the Denich piece? I, I did not. You did not I, see the Denich piece? No. Check it out, because one of the things that okay. sticks out to me is how after the game, he was talking about, he was telling all their media members about how Michigan made all these great changes. They, they did all these things different in the second half. I heard from both coaches and players at Michigan, they didn't change anything. So I just, I just, I'm, I wonder if this dude knows what he's doing. <laughs> really, I'm really questioning. Uh, I mean, I'm really questioning his expertise here. You, if the thing that he did, I mean, he he went a little radical, right? Like he 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 played. I I, I likened to playing without a goalie, right? Because he just brought both safeties down and just 
asked his players to cover his guys' man. Now, if you have Ohio State's talent and you're going against Michigan, the problem that you're going against Michigan is you got to face Zach Zinner and Olu Latimi every single play, right? And those guys are going to move your dudes out of the way, so you need to add extra value to that. Illinois showed them how to do it. So he goes, well, I'm going to follow what Illinois' blueprint was. It made a certain kind of sense. If you that have- wasn't the Illinois' blueprint, though. The Illinois' blueprint was they had a deep safety. Right. They had, they had like a... They had like a DJ Durkin safety. Yeah. Like playing in the next county. So when something broke for Michigan, they got 30 yards instead of 70. Right. So, and yeah, I, I, I thought, I thought Illinois disguise was, was outstanding. Like it, there were times where you could see they confused the shit out of JJ. I mean, the heck out of JJ. And we're still, on the, we're, we're still in shit time right now. <laughs> right, right. They, they really confused him. And you could see there were times he thought he had man and they were, yeah. they were rolling to a cover two. On the snap of the ball, like they they would hold their disguise longer than any team I saw all season, and of of course they mi- mixed in a healthy amount of, of man coverage in there. And you can't, you gotta have not only some talented guys, you gotta have some high IQ guys back there as well. I don't. Ohio State has the talented guys, mm-hmm. but either either their IQ is low. Or the coach's IQ is low, but somebody's IQ is not where it needs to be. Well, how they try to play against Michigan? I tell you what, if I was UFRing the Ohio State defense in this game, I bet you a dollar that Lathan Ransom would come in for an all-time record negative. Yes, because he, I, I'm pretty sure he busted on the Cornelius Johnson touchdown. He got torched by Colston Loveland on his touchdown. He's the guy who. Missed the tackle on the first uh, Donovan Edwards touchdown. And then he has a guy outside of him on the second Donovan Edwards touchdown who's got the quarterback. He's ripping off the edge. He checks the quarterback. <laughs> so if you're talking about a high IQ player on that day, Lathan Ransom was not it. And I don't well, know. And it's funny you mentioned Lathan Ransom because Devin was ragging on Cam Martinez. And Cam Martinez was a backup. Thing. Yeah, well, Cam, Cam Martinez is the guy that, that Cornelius Johnson shook on the on, on his line, yeah. his wide like thirty yards and open touchdown. But that guy was a quarterback from Grand Rapids. Yeah, and I think that there's no earthly way that that's the way that defense was called. Back on radio in about ten seconds, guys. Right, there's no earthly way that this is like okay, third string safety. Here's you got you got Cornelius Johnson wherever he goes from the slot <laughs> and there's no deep help. That's, that's not what, like he calls some right. stupid defense, but he didn't call that. Yeah. DJ is We're like this. Like, hey, five, four, five, 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 five. Oh my God. We're, Are we yeah. back? Okay. I'm sorry. We're back. We're back. We're, back. We're, back. Yeah. Johnson. We're on the airs, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let me tell you, folks, as I get we us back on this. track. So let's get to this piece. Uh, Heller and the, spent some time down in Columbus. There were a lot of articles this offseason about how oh, they, they, they're hiring all these, these big brains to come in and help them figure out Michigan is essentially uh, what it boils down to. But in this piece, they're hyper-focused on the six explosive plays against Michigan and the 10 <laughs> explosive plays against Georgia. And that those were the, the just like in any game, the explosive plays are probably the difference, right? Well, I mean, this is this is just all they're focused on, which I find a little bit. If I were them, Ohio State fans, I find a little bit troubling because Michigan left explosive plays on the field, right? Yeah. There, there are plays there that they just didn't realize that Ohio State didn't defend well at all. 
but no. So tell me if you think this is evidence of a guy who's just being introspective or evidence of a guy who shook. So this is him talking about the six and 10 explosive plays. He said, quote, we had some matchup issues, which I blame myself. Got put into positions where the matchup was not in our favor. That's my job to fix that and look out for that. We had some times where we lost our eyes and we didn't execute. I call it eye violations. When the moment gets big, our vision has to get smaller and more condensed. At times we had guys who were doing too much and not focused on their assignment. That goes back to me. Nobody wants to make the critical mistake. They don't want to give up the critical play. That's not how our guys are built. So I have to look at my teaching and the environment. Shook or introspective, what do you think? Coach speak. Yeah. I mean, this is coach speak. And I I think that what really happened in in the Michigan game, Michigan-Ohio State game, was they just got beat by a better team. They got beat. They got beaten up by a better offensive line, and they tried to gamble a lot uh, because of of the mismatch or the fact that Michigan's offensive line was better than their defensive front, and they got burned. And and yeah, I mean, if he had better players, I guess it might have gone better. Uh, so what? That's always the case. And and so to me, this doesn't feel like anything particularly structural. It feels more like a better offensive team beat them. Yeah, that's I don't, what it feels like to me. I mean, to me, that doesn't feel introspective. To me, that mm-hmm. feels like CYA. <laughs> I, yeah. I know what happened in that game. I charted that game. Yeah. And you don't need to chart that game to know what happened in that game, right? But I charted it. <laughs> yeah. and I think the, the play that really sticks out to me in this regard is actually the pop pass from Kalel Mullet. And that did not need to be a pop pass because every Ohio State player was committed to the line of scrimmage before the mesh point. If Michigan had just run straight play action off of that, it's a walk-in touchdown. And that's the whole that's their whole game plan. And you can't blame, you know, Lathan Ransom, who we talked some crap about in the break. You can't blame him for being hyper aggressive when that's obviously what you were coaching them to do. And so they yeah, they held Michigan's offense down for a quarter and a half by being insanely aggressive. And when the chickens came home to roost, they didn't have a plan B because plan B was, okay, what happens next when we back off? Well, Michigan goes on a 14 play touchdown drive, right? Because the only way you're stopping that running game is one of two ways. And that's uh, CJ Stokes not being quite up for the moment, which is fine. He's a true freshman. Mm -hmm. Also having free hitters in the box because you're using your safeties and they could not, they could not defend Michigan's ground game with an even box. And even late in the game, when they're trying to like, you know, Joel Klatt's in the box saying like, this needs to be the best defensive cult <laughs> series of Jim Knowles' career. What are they doing? They got a three-man line out there and they're trying to fool, fool Oluwatimi and Zinter because they're like, oh, we got a guy who's slanting. And like, <laughs> that's not going to work. This isn't the big 12. You know, <laughs> these offensive linemen aren't just prepping pass pro all day. This is, these guys are NFL right. offensive linemen, and you're expecting that they're not going to be able to pick up on something when you put three defensive linemen on the field and you shift them over. It's like the guy doesn't know what's coming. Like, that's naive. And yeah. I think that this, and you, I know you guys watched it close uh, to Craig and, and Seth. I think this is maybe one of the more egregious I- examples of, of coaching malpractice that I've seen. And 
I think Michigan wins the game anyway, because I agree with you, Craig, just a better team. But I swear they looked at how, how Illinois played Michigan and maybe schematically they didn't copy, but in terms of tone of their defense, defensive temperament, they decided to adopt some of that, which is the total antithesis of who they were during the season. I remember watching, because we went back and watched every Ohio State game before, before that game. And I remember asking both Al and Vance, hey, you know what? Maybe they'll try to do some of this. And both of those guys said, no, you, you can't change your DNA. It's like, that's not realistic. You know, coaching the team, you don't change who you are for, for one game unless you've been practicing that all season. But Michigan or Ohio State have been a heavy zone team over the course of the year. They weren't this aggressive, super ultra aggressive man team, zero cover, zero blitz. They, they didn't do that a ton. And they come out in this Michigan game and it's like, what is this? And I think they kind of got a little or that they Jim Knowles kind of good, got a little little sugar, you know, little vinegar. In there, the guy got a little, little happy thinking that, looking at what Illinois did, thinking that they could go out and duplicate some of that tone and temperament, and got burned as a result. He coached his scheme, not his team. All those guys being in poor position or being overly aggressive, I think I agree with you, Brian. I think that's all on Jim Knowles, and I, I wonder if he will have learned his lesson this season. Well, I also wonder how much talent they actually have back there. You know, because the super open. Cornelius Johnson touchdown. Yeah, he's been checked by Cam Martinez, who's a converted quarterback, who's a backup safety. And you look at the NFL draft this year, they have Zach Harrison go in the third round. They have no other defensive players drafted. Mm -hmm. And I know they get JTT back, but they had Taron Vincent on that field. He's, he's the defensive tackle I'm talking about, who's slanting over and Zinter just pounds him into next week. He's a UDFA, right? Like, that's... That's their defensive tackle. And, you know, Michigan sends Mozzie Smith the first round of the draft, and they get back Chris Jenkins, who might be a first rounder next year. Mm -hmm. And you look at Michigan's secondary, they got Mason Graham. Yeah. They, and like Michigan, Ohio State has some edge players, but is, is anyone else on that defense going to get drafted? Right. And, and you so you raise a great point, man. So Michigan, they're recruiting Bryce West and Aaron Scott heavily. I know you guys follow recruiting, right? Yeah. So, Top corners, Bryce West, Cleveland, Glenville might be back today. We'll see if, if that actually comes to fruition. And Aaron Scott, the number one player in the state out of Springfield. Now, it comes from a heavy Buckeye family. Bryce West comes from a heavy Buckeye school. Ohio State could get both of these guys, all right? It's still Ohio State. But this has become much more of a question because of not just Michigan beat, beating them, but how they beat them, and especially with Aaron Scott. It is very, he's made it very clear to me. His opinion of Michigan changed dramatically being at that game last year and watching their secondary and kind of asking himself the question like man if i come here is it gonna be like this if i come here you know scheme and development is am i gonna really get developed as a as a pro am i really gonna play a pro scheme if i come to ohio state now heart may win out in the end but that started creating some real questions at a real key position for some in-state guys for Ohio State starting with that game set. Yeah, man. Uh, you know, Michigan's coaching's been better lately. I, I don't think there's uh, – you, you can't look at the last two games and not show that. But, but Michigan's players are finally on the level of Ohio State's players. They didn't do it by recruiting the level that Ohio State did. They did it by – they developed guys. They found guys. Zach Zinner is not a guy 
that Ohio State was after, right? And that, that dude changes your things. Now, once they have that in place, they can get an Oluwatimi and they can finish off some of those spots. And that's what we're seeing them build this team right now. And in the same, at the same time, Ohio State just kind of let some things slide. Like, they had defensive tackles coming out of their ears. But they also had Rob Landers starting for them, who was a small guy who was not very well recruited. But they scouted him. They realized that he could scrap. He can play, and he caused Michigan a lot of problems when he was on the field against them. And they don't have that guy now. They have all five stars. And like Brian says, like JTT, that guy is a dude, and he's going to be dangerous, and, he's, and they're going to be very good for what they are. But Ohio State's not used to playing teams of the same talent as them. And th- they've gotten there in the playoffs, and they did well against Georgia because they've gotten a shootout, and that's what you have to do in the playoffs nowadays. You have to play an NFL game. But they were not expecting Michigan to have the same. And I think that Knowles misunderstood the assignment. I think that Ryan Day might misunderstand the assignment. Michigan-Ohio State is not a Ohio State's got more talent than Michigan's trying to come and get you and you just have to outplay. You You have to come up with a new strategy for that game. Michigan-Ohio State is we're going to give you our best game, the best version of ourselves versus the best version of yourself, and we're going to see who's the best team. And once they start looking at it that way, I think it's going to be more, <laughs> more of a rivalry again. Right now, Michigan finally understands the assignment. They didn't for a long time. Ohio State's kind of lost the thread a little bit. Craig? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not so sure uh, Michigan lost the thread. I just think we weren't as good. Uh, and, and, and no level of coaching was, yeah. was really going to solve that problem. Uh, that isn't true anymore. Uh, and, and now I think the talent levels are pretty close. And I think Michigan is better coached, better coached, has more idea about what they're doing, a better vision. Uh, and that's what it comes down. That's what it comes down to. And I think with these coaching staff, so long as the talent is even reasonably even Michigan's going to have a really good chance. And I include this year because I think we're going to be better at offensive line. I think we're going to be better at quarterback and I think we'll be just as good or better pretty much every place else. So, I mean, I think Ohio State better start thinking that maybe they are going to lose three in a row, and I don't mean think that means they're going to have to fire their coaching staff necessarily, but I oh, think dude, I there's going to have there's going to be angst, that's for sure. Yeah, I don't think there's any chance that no one gets fired if they lose to Michigan again. Uh, I mean, someone, no one big is getting fired. <laughs> now, it may not be Ryan Day, but Jim knows, I, man, he, I hope he got a lot of guaranteed money. All right, so I just, I just looked up Ohio State's draft prospects on PFF. And the only guy they list in their secondary is Denzel Burke. And mm. their note on Denzel Burke is he regressed as a sophomore, allowing 110 passer rating when targeted. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. they're really just being, they're just like shoveling Ohio State players into this for no reason. So their, their secondary doesn't really seem to be heavy on draftables. They got a couple of guys who are rotational defensive linemen who might bust out, and then they have a couple of five-star edges. And then they uh, pro football focus massively overrates Tommy Eichenberg. So <laughs> I mean, like, he can he can play. He's not an NFL player, but he can play. Yeah, he's all right. But yeah. like, I mean, tough Borland too. Uh, you know, I think <laughs> like yeah, it's just you look at that and Ohio State went into that game saying we can't play Michigan straight up. Mm-hmm. And when's the last time that happened? Like we can't, if we try to play these guys 
like we played everybody else, we're just going to get gashed. So we got to be incredibly in your face. And mm-hmm. they, they got, got gashed anyway. 1900, <laughs> right? So, right, right, Craggy? You yeah. got, you're writing yeah. about it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yep. so it'll, it, be, it'll be interesting. I mean, the next battleground, these two corners, I mean, it, it brings everything into focus about what you've laid out, Brian, about how bad, how mismanaged or miscoached they were. Is that was that going to show up tangibly in recruiting? This is the these are the test case test cases right here because you have every advantage. These are in-state guys. One comes from an Ohio State stronghold. The other one comes from a huge Ohio State family. Uh, who told he told me he said, "Man, when I said I was going to visit Michigan, it's Aaron Scott." My dad said, "You're going to go on that visit without me." <laughs> like, and I'm not going on that. Now he eventually came. This was at the beginning. Yeah. He eventually came on the visit with them and. You know, it's giving Michigan their due, but that's that's the kind of hill that you have to climb with both of these guys. And if you lose one, or God forbid, from Ohio State perspective, both, hell, someone might get fired before the season <laughs> for, for that. You know, wow. that, and they need those guys would play early at that spot. Oh man, yeah, and big. I mean, you got G- D- uh, you got DJ Turner going in the second round, and DJ Turner was not a big recruit, and Ben Herbert, as you said, fixed him. And I think that's something that both those guys might be looking at too, where it's just like, you know, I know Ohio state's got a good S and C program, but if I have a problem, like we have evidence that this can get fixed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just in terms of like, what, what did Will Johnson look like after a season of clink scales coaching? Like that guy took off. Right. And now he's projected as one of the best corners in the country as a true sophomore. And like, do you get the same vibe from the coaching that's going on at Ohio State in the secondary? I do not personally. <laughs> not something I'm catching a waft of coming off the Ohio State secondary. So, right. um, you know, sometimes those super offensive games where they're up 49 to nothing against Michigan State at halftime can conceal some issues that you're having because, mm-hmm. you know, at that point, backups are in everywhere because it's like this is not a contest anymore and like what happens in crunch time they're they're built very well to destroy everyone who's less talented than them and that's worked so well for them that like that's that's who they are now right like they as long as michigan did not have the talent of ohio state there was nobody really to stop ohio state once in a while they get into a game with maryland or something right but they would just waltz their way to the big 10 championship by having better players and they could run what they ran by having better players. And uh, that's that's what shocked them, is that Michigan finally had, in 2021, they had the same caliber, or close to the same caliber of player on the field as Ohio State. And they're not used to having that. They're not, they they didn't know, and like Brian said, they changed their defense. They, they went to this insane defense because they didn't have another plan. They looked at Michigan's front, and they said, they got Olu team and they got Zinter, and we don't have an answer for that. And well, that, I mean, like, yeah. <laughs> so to me, this is, I, I mentioned this on the podcast that we did after the Ohio State game. It feels mm-hmm. for the first time in a long time that Michigan is sort of ahead of Ohio State in the metagame because Michigan brings in Don Brown, right? And Don Brown has some really good defensive performances against guys like JT Barrett. And Michigan mm-hmm. can't quite get those done, but it's like, okay. And then Ohio State just pops out Dwayne Haskins. <laughs> out of nowhere and all of a sudden they're running an NFL passing scheme against yeah. Don Brown and they're putting up 84 points in a game and now Michigan responds by basically importing various Ravens defensive coordinators 
And Ohio State responds to Michigan's offense by bringing in a Big 12 defensive coordinator. <laughs> He's had a very mediocre career except for catching fire for a couple years with a three-safety defense at in the Big 12 at Oklahoma State. And to me, that's not the person to bring in, right? The person to bring in is probably <laughs> uh, defense, uh, Jim Leonard. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jim Leonard or uh, Phil Parker at Iowa, if you can pr pry him away. Like those guys are putting up defenses with far less talent than Ohio State. They're familiar with the Big Ten and they, they know how to deal with a power rushing game. And I just question whether Jim Knowles is up for this mm -hmm. because, yeah, it's, it's one thing to, you know, have the defensive coordinator experience that you have. He's been at various places that aren't Big 12 places, but really the only outstanding success he's had has been shutting down running gun Big 12 attacks. So he looks at Michigan's offense and he's like, okay, we got to scheme some stuff up here. And that puts extra pressure on your defense to execute because that's not what you did all year. And Michigan was clearly preparing for Ohio State. This is the second straight year where this juggernaut offense has put up, what, 24 and 27 points? So Michigan is building their defense all year to combat Ohio State. And you got a question. 23 points. Tw sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> and you got a question like, like, why does Ohio State have to change their defense to play Michigan? Right. <laughs> right. Shouldn't right. that be like what yeah. they're doing all year? Yeah. So, I mean, I understand keeping some stuff in the, in the hat so that you can surprise somebody, but I just the number of busts and, and crazy things that they were doing. Like, I think the pressure kind of got to them at some point, especially with uh, Lathan Ransom. I had a tennis game where I had four consecutive service faults. So I know what that's like. <laughs> that isn't going to happen. That's it's not going to keep happening. It's going to keep happening. <laughs> it's all right. But I've, I've been there now because I was playing casual tennis uh, anyway, so yeah, I, I I think that there's possibility that you know Knowles is able to write the ship, but if you're looking at the kind of profile of a guy here, like oh yeah, that's the kind of guy who I want thinking about beating Michigan all year. It's not him. Mm -hmm. yeah, they mm -hmm. probably should have gotten stuff. Ryan Walters. It's too late now, but that's the guy should yeah. they should have gotten. Oh, there's no question he would have been. Oh my, yeah, that that would have been a problem. There 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 are defensive coordinators floating around this league hmm. who would have been much better choices than, than a guy who like managed to turn in a couple of decent years at Oklahoma State. Craig, I want to give you an opportunity. There's only a few minutes left, but yeah. speaking of hiring coaches, I know you had some, you want uh, to highlight Brandon Narado's hires for yeah, his staff? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm happy over the Brandon Narado hire. Uh, give uh, Ward Manual credit. People have been ripping on him, but I think that that it, uh, it was a good hire. And they brought in a couple of assistants uh, that I think show, you know, how good his judgments are. I believe they will show that. Uh, now I'm losing my paper. One is a guy named Deschamp. Do you know, uh, Brian, that this guy's first name? Uh, oh yeah, Matt Deschamp. He, uh, he was at, um, he played at Maine five years in, the, in minor league hockey. And then he, he was a head coach in Europe of the Salzburg Pro Bulls or Red Bulls, and they won European championships there. And uh, then he went to the Chicago Steel uh, and was promoted to the associate or the assistant number two guy at the, at, at the Chicago Steel. And he's had 
a lot of good players there. The Fantillis, Owen Power, Brisson, Samuskevich, Moldenauer, all out of that program. And that's probably the best program in the USHL or has been. And so having him at Michigan probably bodes well for recruiting. But I also listened to a Hockey IQ podcast with him on it. And he was super impressive. Uh, he says, I use iPads on the ice because I think providing immediate feedback for players is the way to go. And he wants the drills. He's a big tech guy and he wants the drills to be in game-like situations and not purely abstract drills. And he thinks by using technology on the ice, he can make corrections right there and corrections can be made right there. And uh, listen Raffi to the, the other guy. You're yeah. No, uh, the other guy is, is Kevin Ryder. Oh. Uh, and Kevin Ryder is the other assistant coach. He was a goalie at Alaska Anchorage. He was the IHL goalie of the year at Fort Wayne and won the Turner Cup there. Uh, he's been on the staff for three national teams that won gold medals. And uh, he's also been the last year to the national developmental team hockey uh goalies coach. So he's also been at a program where Michigan recruits highly. So both of these guys are young and they both uh, at places where Michigan wants to recruit. And as coaches, they've, they've been successes. So I think Brandon Narado gets big upsides on, on this for the, for the assistant coaches he's brought in, well as Rob Rassi and, and the mm -hmm. remainder of the coaching staff, which is really good, I think. Yeah, my oh. takeaway from this is that mm -hmm. Michigan isn't going to be playing in the GLI anytime soon. Yeah, they will not. Because they're going to keep recruiting they like they've been recruiting. Because, yeah. I mean, if you want a connections, the Chicago Steel and the USA program are the two programs you want connections with in North America. Gotcha. Yeah. Great, great stuff, guys. We're going to have to close it okay. there. Uh, we can pick this up next week, by the way. Uh, in the meantime, folks, thanks for listening to another edition of the Michigan Insider on Sports Talk 1050 WTK, the ticket, the official voice of the University of Michigan Sports Ann Arbor, a cumulus station.